0: morning Hope. So glad you're here. Uh, I want to especially say a word of welcome to those who are uh, part of our worship service uh, for the very first time. Uh, my name's Tom O'Connell. I serve here at Hope as one of the pastors. I'd love to talk with you after. I'll be out in the main lobby. I'd love to connect with you. This is a pretty significant weekend uh, here at Hope Church. Um, eight years ago on this third weekend of September, Hope Church was launched. Um, how many of you were there at the Performing Arts Center September 20th, 2009? Keep your hands up. Look around. These are the, these are the people that were there at that original, uh, that very first service uh, that Hope Church had. You can put your hands down. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for being willing. Many of you were part of that Bible study, that Sunday school class that met at Grace Church for a number of months leading up to the actual launch of Hope Church at the Performing Arts Center. And, And I want to say thank you for being willing to be part of a new church. It's not an easy thing to start a church. And I want to thank you. Many of you left churches that you felt connected in and a part of and friends and some family, um, and you felt prompted and led uh, to be part of this work. And the rest of us who didn't have our hands up, myself included, I wasn't there on that day, uh, we are able to be here today uh, because of many of the things you did over these now eight years. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of all of us that weren't there on that day in September. Now, our official birthday is Wednesday, uh, but but uh, We're going to just recognize it uh, today, and I want to say, Jim. I want to say to you, I want to say to you and Linda both. Thank you so much for being willing to be part of the leadership uh, to see help taking. We saw on Facebook this week, uh, as Jeff said, our staff was out of the office most of the week. Uh, Every September, uh, the pastors in our district all get together uh, for what's called District Conference. And that was just this past week. And we were in Wadsworth just down the road. And and Jim was recognized for 25 years of ministry uh, within the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So I want to say, well done. It's really a joy to serve uh, with Jim and the rest uh, of the team here. So I had the privilege of joining uh, this work here in Brunswick, Ohio in 2011. And from that day, uh, six years ago, uh, still to this day, I really believe what I've seen uh, over the years. And I still believe to the core of my being, even today, now eight years later as a church, that Hope Church was started to simply help people find hope. That's why it was started. That's why it was launched out of Grace Church. And a few weeks ago, uh, our uh, pastors were having a meeting here in this building, and we were wrapping up the, the time, and we were getting ready to walk out, and two women walked in, and so we uh, introduced ourselves. Uh, they, they quickly said, uh, we were just driving by, and, and uh, we were looking for some holy water, and we realized we probably won't find it here, and, um, but we started talking to them, and, and we, uh, one lady, uh, one of the women was getting married soon, and one was her friend who was in town for the wedding, and, and they just honestly shared with us, uh, she, they said, we were just driving around, we were driving down Pearl Road and saw the sign and said, hope out front. And she said, honestly, we could use some hope. And they came in and we had a chance, Jim had a chance to just pray with them and for them. And, and as I think of that woman's statement a few weeks ago, we were just looking for some hope. I believe that statement conveys the sentiment of many of us, if not all of us here today. Uh, as I think about our communities our neighborhoods, there are people looking for hope. As I think of our nation, as I think of our world, uh, there are people looking and longing for hope. And that's why Hope Church was started. And, and that's really the backdrop, if you will, that, that, that idea of that longing in all of us for hope. That is really the backdrop of these this new series that we're starting today and going through uh, into November, bringing heaven to earth, just a, um, a passing glance at an average day's or week's headlines and an honest perspective of our own lives at times, I believe we would all admit we need more of heaven on earth. I don't think I have to convince you of that. We know that, we feel that, we see that locally, we see that nationally, we see that internationally, and we see it very close to home. We would all say we need more of heaven on earth. And now some might even say, well, is that even possible? Like, how does that even happen? How can heaven come to earth? And I want to say it is. Now, now the reality is we will not fully experience heaven as it is this side of heaven, so to speak. But I do believe based on Jesus' life, his mission, and his message, I believe his desire is for us even today to be able to experience a bit, if you will, of heaven here on earth. A taste, if you will, of heaven here on earth in our everyday lives. So how does that happen? How does heaven come to earth? And I want to say one of the ways it happens is through God's people through the church and even more specifically people God's people as we pray and as we pray I believe the way we pray begins to change how we live. We're not just praying these prayers but as we pray God would your would heaven come to earth, we then begin living in such a way that is bringing heaven to earth in our everyday relationships and the everyday places we go so that we can all experience heaven here on earth and in the midst of that I think find hope through the person and presence and power of Jesus Christ. So our anchor, if you will, our text, our passage over these next several weeks is going to be the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles open already, I'd love for you to open it, open it up to Matthew chapter 6, bring it up on a a device maybe that you have with you. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to spend... Our time over today and the next several weeks ahead as we think about this theme of bringing heaven to earth. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer because the Lord, Jesus Christ, taught his disciples how to pray. Some have called it, uh, some have said it should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus taught it, but the disciples were to pray it. Uh, It's the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, for some of us, this prayer is very familiar. Uh, Maybe based on the experience uh, uh, that you grew up in the church environment you grew up in, this prayer was a part of the liturgy of the service. Every week, every Sunday, every Saturday you gathered corporately, you would pray this prayer. For some, uh, this is Something maybe as a, if you're on a sports team. This is something that's prayed uh, together in the locker room before you go out uh, onto the field uh, to play whatever game you're playing. And this, it's more. But but wherever you might be on the faith spectrum, there's some familiarity with this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter six. It's interesting that we, as a as a church community, uh, if you remember back, I know it's a number of months ago. Uh, but back in January, when 2017 started, we, our first weekend together in the new year, we started the year in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we talked about this theme, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, we didn't look at Matthew chapter 6, we actually looked at how, where Luke records the Lord's Prayer. It's in Luke uh, chapter 11. Uh, But Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And I believe that as we kind of get back into, you know, fall is now here and we're back into some rhythm and routine with the school year. It's a good reminder to come back to what are we to be about as a church, to call out to God, to pray, but not just pray. I really believe the way we pray then informs and forms how we live. Prayer has a way of forming us and changing us. transforming us. Maxine Dunham, she says this, in the school of prayer, we're all beginners. That's how we approach prayer. It's not, I've arrived, I know all of this, but even Jesus' disciples back in Luke chapter 11, where they record the Lord's prayer, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. These are men who Prayed. Probably at set times during the day, morning, afternoon, evening, they would have been in a rhythm to their day to pray. But yet they see Jesus pray, and they, I believe as they watched him pray, there was something different about the way he prayed. And they said, Lord, teach us. We, we need to learn from you. We want to grow in how we pray. And might that be our mindset? Even if this passage, this prayer, if you will, is very familiar to us, might we have the mindset that we're beginners? And Lord, would you teach us to pray so that we can see heaven come to earth more and more in our lives? I want to read um, the passage that we're going to be learning from over these weeks, and then we'll go back and focus on the first part of the prayer. Matthew 6, Matthew five, Matthew six starting in verse 5. says this, When you pray... Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need, what you need before you ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Matthew's account of the, sermon, uh, of the Lord's Prayer is embedded in a larger body of teaching that's known as the Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew 5, 6, and uh, 7. It's a larger teaching, uh, a portion, a body of work uh, that Jesus teaches there. So Jesus, embedded in this, teaches his disciples, teaches those who are gathered how to pray. And it's interesting that the first two examples uh, of, how, uh, of how not to pray he doesn't start with, this is what it looks like, but he starts with, don't be like them. Don't pray like them. And you go back to verse 5, and he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is one who says something and does the other, who, who has almost a mask on, is trying to give off an impression that's not reality. It, they're hypocrites. They're, they're not living up to what they're saying. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So so the idea here, we need to understand a bit of, a con- of the context of, of um, the of. The first century there and what's happening is when these, uh, when these people are going to pray, they're, they're either in the synagogues or they're, they're out in the midst of the people. They're out in their community. And, and again, in this time, there probably would have been, for, for those who are religious, set times of prayer. Morning, afternoon, evening. That would have been the rhythm that they would have stopped at different points to pray. And so what's happening is Jesus is saying, don't be like these hypocrites who, who when it's the set time, they, they, maybe they're out in the community and they find a spot that everyone will see me. And they begin to pray. And they begin to talk to God. And they intentionally choose a place out in the community or even in the synagogue for a place to be seen by men. But Jesus says, don't be like them. He says, instead, he says, I tell you the truth, they will receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we need to understand something about homes in this day. People do not have their own bedroom. Like when we see go to your room and pray, we could think, okay, go in your house, go through the living room, go through the kitchen, uh, go into your bedroom, close the door, you're all alone. These people don't have an all alone room. <laughs> most of them, most of the people probably had one room. So the idea isn't necessarily go into a room where you're all alone, but it's talking about you don't have to be out in public. There's this intimacy, that, this communion that can happen in the privacy of your own heart. It's not necessarily just about being in a place where you're all alone, but it's about that private intimacy, that communion that you have through prayer to God. It's not to be seen. It's not to be, wow, look how religious they are. And then he goes on to say, again, another negative example, if you will. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, because you're, be not be like them. for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So, so he says, don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the pagans who keep on babbling. They keep on repeating the same things. They keep on saying the same statements. They keep on repeating the same words. And what they're doing, it's the, what they're thinking is, the mindset is, is I can somehow manipulate God to do what I want him to do based on just repeating all these things. And and Jesus is saying, you can't. You can't manipulate based on having many words. Just keep on babbling, saying the same thing. You're not going to be able to twist God's arm to make you do, make him do what you want him to do through your many words. And then it's interesting that Jesus says, And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So He doesn't say asking is wrong, but He says, Your Father already knows what you need. That's good for us to know that when we pray, we're not informing God what we need. It's not like He's listening to us saying, Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for letting me know. (laughs) No, He already knows. And He wants us to ask. But I believe before we get to the asking, he goes, he talks about relationship. He says, and and he gives these negative examples. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans. Don't do it so men and, and women see you. Like, wow, look how religious they are. But don't be like the pagans. Just keep on babbling, thinking somehow I can manipulate God to do what I want him to do. But don't be like them, he says. But instead... This is how you should pray. And it really presents a model. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. We learn something about prayer in that statement from Jesus. He says this, prayer, I believe Jesus is saying, prayer is first about being with God. It is asking there is a place for petitions. There is a place for intercession. There is a place for asking. There is a place for requests. All those types of things. And we'll get to the request. Even in this prayer, we're going to get to, this, these are the things you should ask for. These are the things you should pray. But first and foremost, Jesus talks about relationships. He talks about our Father in heaven. He talks about relationships. He talks about father. He talks about intimacy. And sometimes we, we, we rush or move quickly. When we think about prayer, we run to the, the things I need and those are appropriate. Those things are appropriate. He already knows we need them and he wants us to bring these things to him. But first we need to remember prayer is first, I think foremost, about being with someone. It's about intimacy. It's about relationship with God our Father. Sometimes we approach prayer in a few ways. We approach prayer, um, we talked about this before at Hope, like prayer is like a vending machine. We have this image in our mind of a vending machine. You got your $1.50 and you want your peanut M&Ms and you put the dollar fifty in, you push E5 and the peanut M&Ms are supposed to come out. We get upset when it doesn't come out. We shake the machine. But sometimes we can approach prayer like that. It's almost like the pagans that are babbling, thinking God... I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. Instead of realizing first and foremost, it's about relationship. Sometimes we can approach prayer um, like, like Santa Claus. A few months from now, I know it's hard to think about, but a few months from now, South Park Mall will have their uh, display set up and Santa will be there in the, in the, in the atrium area and, and you'll be standing in line, people will be standing in line to put their kids on Santa's lap and, and, and so when a child sits on Santa's lap, they're not there to hang out with Santa. Like, they're not there sitting on Santa's lap. Ralphie, when he sat on Santa's lap, you know, wasn't saying, you know, Santa, I just love hanging out with you. I just love being with you. No, I mean, kids, when they sit on Santa's lap, it's, I want this, or I need this, or give me this. So both the the vending machine and the Santa, and you can go, uh, there's other ideas, but but like both are void of relationships of being with someone. And Jesus, before he goes to the, these are the things we should ask about. He talks about relationship. Larry Crabb in his book, Papa Prayer, which talks about intimacy with God, the Father. He says as in his book, he talks about how prayer now feels less about asking for something and more about enjoying Someone less about asking. It is about asking, requests. But I believe first, God wants us to enjoy simply being with him. He's our heavenly father. He's our father. Most of the prayers that Jesus prayed, he prayed using the language father, Abba, daddy, I believe the only time that it's recorded when Jesus prays, and I believe it's from the cross, he calls out, my God, my God, quoting Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? But, 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 but all the other times recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that Jesus prays, he refers to God as Father. There's intimacy there. And I believe Jesus is not necessarily saying you have to pray these exact words in the Lord's Prayer, but he's giving us, I think, a model of how we should pray. And we pray out of relationship. N.T. Wright says this, The Lord's Prayer is not so much a command as it is an invitation, an invitation to share in the prayer life of Jesus himself. It's interesting that even in those verses I read earlier, before we get to the first part of the Lord's Prayer, four times, I believe, in five verses, Jesus says, your Father will reward you. Your Father already knows. Four times in five verses, Jesus references Father. And then here at the very beginning of the prayer, he says, our father. There's a sense of community. He's not just my father, Jesus, saying he's our father. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of family that we've all been adopted through Jesus. It's our father, and it's our father in heaven. It's our father in heaven. And I believe Jesus, even in that point, is in that verse, in that statement, is, is driving home the point that this father is different than any other father we have. He's in heaven. He's unique. And even next week, we'll talk about hallowed be your name. He's holy. He's set apart. And this is important for us to talk about because this is the image, one of the images, that God chooses to reveal himself to us with. Father. A few moments ago in, our, in the midst of our worship service, Pastor Jim read some verses about how God, just the vastness of his power, the vastness of creation, and how just God's holding that all together, like the sheer magnitude of that. But yet at the very same time, he wants to be revealed to us as dad. Father. Father. There's intimacy there. There's closeness there. This is important for us to talk about because very easily and maybe naturally and maybe even I want to say normally, when we think of God our Father, when we think of even that word Father, even right now when I say it, you have an image, you have a person in your mind. And many times what happens, many of us, I'll just say this, many of us, when we think of that person, that earthly father, there are so many good thoughts and ideas and memories. Even right now, some of you are filled maybe with sadness because that person is no longer here. And it brings up even grief in you. So that's that's the experience for many. But then also for, for others, that image of father here on earth is not a good one. It's not a good one at all. It's not a good one. When we, and, and many times what happens is our ideas or images of Father, when we think God our Father, they become intertwined with our earthly Father. And it impacts many. How, do I, how can I relate to God as Father if, if, if when, that, when I think of that person in my mind, the thoughts are not good? I read a study recently that, that it was based on those in prison, and in one study it said this, that 92% of inmates hated their father. 92% of inmates hated their father. Now you might say, well, you know, I'm, all for, I'm all for personal responsibility, I'm not blaming what their fathers did and why, the reason they're in jail for whatever they've done but for many when they think of father it's not good thoughts that come to mind another man's story is this my father these are his words my father was my father always provided for us he was home every night after work but even though he was there he was never really present and the purpose in bringing this up isn't to heap guilt on dad i'm a dad <laughs> but it's to acknowledge realities for some that this is a challenge When we think of God our Father, it's hard because we're so intertwined with the hurt that we've experienced from even our earthly fathers. And for some, maybe that hurt came through violence in your home. For some, that came through words that were said. For some, that maybe came through the way religion was practiced in your home. For some, it's sheer absence For some, it's sheer silence. They were there, but they didn't engage. And this is why it's important for us to think about these realities. Because he's our father in heaven, so he's different. And we need to know today that he's a father to the fatherless. Our father in heaven is a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, 5 says this. He's a father to the fatherless. It literally says that. He, he is one who wants to father us or re-father us, if you will, to, to heal those hurts and to heal those wounds. To say, I'm not like your earthly father. He's a God, fa- our Father, who wants to say, you have what it takes. He's a God, our Father, who says, I'm going to fight for you. I see you. I delight in you. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a father who's present. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a present father who, when maybe others have walked out, he says, I'm there. And I'm not leaving. I'm not walking away. He knows what we're going through. And he's a father who loves us. I think of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The prodigal son, I mean, made some serious mistakes blew his father's inheritance, wasted it on wild living, did whatever he wanted to do. And when he realizes, you know, my my father's servants are being treated better at home, he says, I'm going to go home and maybe my dad will take me back as one of his hired men, one of his servants. And he goes back and his father sees him coming and his father runs to him and embraces him and puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and sandals on his feet and he welcomes him home and he says, you're not going to be, you are my son. That hasn't changed. Friends, we've all done things we regret. And sometimes I wonder, does God love me? Does God our father, does, as a father, does he really love us? And might we be reminded today that he does. He's our father in heaven. He's different. And he wants to father us. And he wants to be with us. So we need to ask a question. How does praying this, thinking about this, praying, being with God our father in heaven, how does this bring heaven to earth? How does this impact everyday life? I see it in two ways. First, identity and next, mission. Identity and mission. As we think of identity, do we understand our identity as God's children, as his sons and as his daughters? Do we, do we live and function and uh, breathe, so to speak, out of that identity, that rootedness in who I am? Do we relate to God more as a child, as a son, or as a daughter? He's our father, or do we relate to him more as a servant? Identity. Now, to some degree, there is a sense that we are God's servants. He is our master. He's our king. Paul even introduces himself in Romans when he writes the letter, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. There is a sense that we are a servant. But what are we serving out of? I found this interesting that John Wesley, uh, you might be familiar with him, John and Charles Wesley were the uh, founders of the Methodist uh, denomination. And John Stott in his commentary on the book of Galatians wrote about John Wesley and here's what he said. He said Wesley and his friends visited inmates of inmates of the prisons and workhouses of Oxford. They took pity on the slum children of the city, providing them with food, clothing and education. They observed Saturday as the Sabbath as well as Sunday. They went to church, to holy communion, they gave alms, searched the scriptures, fasted and prayed, but they were bound with fetters of their own religion. For they were trusting in themselves that they were righteous instead of putting their trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A few years later, John Wesley, in his own words, wrote this. He came to trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation and was given an inward assurance that his sins had been taken away. And after this, looking back on his pre-conversion experience of doing all those things, this is before he came to Christ as his Lord and Savior, He wrote this, he said, looking back on his life, he said, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. He went on to say, Christianity is a religion of sons and daughters, and not of slaves. Not of servants. It's interesting that in Galatians 4, uh, it says this, Put that verse up. It says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also. And heir. Why do we serve him? We serve him out of our identity. What he's already done. We are sons and daughters. And we have a father who loves us. Who's given his life for us. Who's present. Who brings healing. And out of that, out of who I am, it drives what we do. Not trying to earn favor, but to say, I've already received favor. And therefore, I'm going to serve him. Identity is big. And then mission. Identity leads to mission. It leads to what we do. Jesus said this in John 5, verse 19. He says, the son, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Father, there it is again. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For Jesus to do what he, the father had asked him to do, he had to know what the father wanted him to do. He had to be with him. And Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And the context of this is actually Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath, which really bothered the religious <laughs> leaders of that day. You don't do those types of things on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, "This is what my, I think in a way, he's saying, this is what my Father wants me to do. And friends, this is where prayer comes in and intimacy comes in and being with Jesus. God, as we think of the things happening in our cities, things happening in our communities, the things happening in our homes, we wonder, what do I do? What would God want me to do? I think before we get to the, this is what I should do, we have to understand being with God. What does he want me to do? Spending time in the word, listening and reading the word and saying, God, based on what you revealed, what do you want me to do? Identity leads then to mission. John White says this, Prayer is not you and I trying to move God. Prayer is, among other things, being caught up into God's directions and activities. He orders affairs of the universe and invites you and I to participate by prayer. Intercession is God and you in partnership, bringing His perfect plans into being. And we want heaven to come to earth. We need to learn how to be with the Father. Understand who we are as sons and daughters. To allow him to heal those hurts within us. To secure more and more our identity in him. And then out of that place of intimacy, we live and we bring through our very lives more of heaven here on earth. So I want to invite you, even this week, a few ways. I encourage you in a few ways. First, uh, this, after, this evening, you're going to be receiving an email uh, with some follow-up questions and scriptures to take what we've talked about even today a little deeper. We just don't want to talk about it on Sunday mornings, but we want to take it deeper. So you could take that, use that personally, use that in your home, use that with a group of people, but to take it deeper. And then I would also invite you on Wednesday nights, we pray. We gather to pray. And on these next several Wednesday nights, we're going to be taking some of these themes out of the Lord's Prayer and praying through them over the weeks ahead. And I would invite you, he said, our Father, this isn't just about individual faith. (laughs) It's about us corporately. So I would invite you again. Let's be people that call out to him corporately. And even as we wrap up this morning, maybe some of you just feel the need to even where you're at, maybe even come up here up front to kneel and pray just to be with your Father, to listen, to be with Him, to hear what He wants to say to you today. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song and you respond how God's leading you today. God, I want to thank you that you choose to reveal yourself in many ways to us, many names, images, titles. And Lord, I'm thankful for the one that we get to talk about today, Father. Dad, Abba, you are creator, God. You are holding the universe together you are making everything work at this very moment. But yet, Lord, at the same time, you we can know you intimately as Father. And Lord, for many of us, as we think of that image with that word, I want to thank you for the blessings of many fathers in our lives. Biological fathers, spiritual fathers. But Lord, for some here, that image is not good it's very hurtful painful for a variety of reasons and Lord I'm thankful that you are a father to the fatherless you're a God who wants to father us again so Lord would we be people that are with you that enjoy being with you that understand our identity in you as your son and as your daughter. And Lord, out of that place of relationship, we do, we serve you, we follow you. We do what you show us to do. So Lord, help us even this week to go further with this, to experience that intimacy that Jesus talks about, to hear those life-giving words from you. Thank you for your word, that it speaks life to us today. I'm thankful you're a God who knows our name. You know us. We're not a number, but you know us intimately. Thank you, Lord, for this, this prayer that we can pray even today. Our Father in heaven. Thank you for that intimacy, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.